Courtney and I have never met in person. Instead, we've connected through virtual meetings. We quickly realized that Betty and I enjoy brainstorming together about ministry, faith, and life, and that we have a lot to learn from one another. A virtual time together has felt similar to sitting down with a friend over a cup of coffee, something that feels so foreign since the start of the pandemic. We found ourselves talking about life, theology, and asking all the big questions without ever having to leave with any answers. So we decided to turn this cup of coffee experience into a podcast. We're building a platform that invites others to ask the big questions we don't always feel comfortable asking. We'll use wonder as a tool to dig us out of these questions and help us reimagine our ways of doing ministry. So grab a cup of coffee or beverage of your choice. We'll let wonder percolate together. Hey friends, it's Betty and Court here and we're listening to Percolating Wonder. And yeah, I'm going to open us up with my favorite question to you, Betty. What's percolating? Besides coffee I had this morning, um, it is good to be with you. I feel like it's been a while since we've been able to connect since, you know, Holy Week. And yeah, so it's good to to get together. Um, What's been percolating for me is identifying scripture that has been grounding me um, in the work that I'm doing, um, nurturing me along the way. You know, there's not only the work and ministry before us, but just a lot that's happening within our communities, our country, our world. And um, I've been thinking about what has um, helped me um, stay grounded, what has helped me kind of stay on the path or the journey, the work. Um, And then the other piece, too, is um, sometimes I'm not an academic, so um, I'm trying to think of a better word, but um, I know that sometimes a lot of my work is, you know, thinking of what resources, what tools, what reading, um, what materials is helpful in um, this work around anti-racism, cultural awareness and competency. So sometimes it's very um, head heady, right? Or it can be there. Um, or even in conversation, sometimes it could be like, this is too political and it doesn't belong in the church. So so then it makes me think, why is this important for us as people of faith and how do we ground this work in um, scripture and in our faith? So those things have been percolating on my mind. Um, so there's a couple um, scriptures that I've been thinking about um, for me in my work and my personal life. And um, yeah, I'm going to be curious about if there's any particular scriptures um, or, um, you know, values that come from our faith that has grounded you in your work and your life and your ministry. Yeah. So I didn't know, did you have anything you wanted to share right away? Did you, if you wanted me to go first? Um, yeah, either way. I'm most likely going to put you on the spot. Um, but with that, I'll add that I agree that sometimes in, and I think both the work that we do, there's a lot of engagement with more like academic, uh, heavy work occasionally. I know in anti-racism work, um, doesn't always have to be the case, right? Like there's a lot of like personal experience from people of color in, in that conversation, um, as well. And same, same thing with like queerness and things like that. Um, 
yeah, there's always like rooted, it's always rooted in personal experience, which I think helps. And, and at the same time, I think it's really hard. And I have to remind myself of this too, working through seminary as that's coming to a close for me and how, like, how do we bring this back to like the local church level, right? So some of the things I learn in seminary or that any of us have learned in seminary are really, really great, like in theory, but then how do we like make it practical? Like, how do we practice that? Um, What's the practice aspect of that? Feels like a strong seminary words practice there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. So I'm really excited that we're going to talk a little bit more about like scripture and what grounds us in our work, because I think that that, that that's how we do it is how we bring it back to the local church is how we can use the text, our holy text to, um, to really like draw the connection between uh, the work that we're doing as far as like social justice, inclusion, um, things like that go. Um, So yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and put you in the hot seat and ask you like what, what scripture does ground you in your work? What motivates Mm -hmm. you? What helps uh, connect your work to your faith, so to speak? Yeah. So there's three that I've been kind of percolating on or, you know, holding close to my heart lately. And um, I hope I don't forget them as I <laughs> go through the, the kind of the list. But the one that I always go to is the story of Zacchaeus. Um, we have never met in person. I still cannot believe that it's been, gosh, how many months now? 18 months <laughs> since I've been in this job. And we've been doing projects and ministry together and we have not met in person. So I'm looking forward to that day. But I'm not even five feet. So um, the story of Zacchaeus has always had a special place in my heart, but, you know, this, uh, this short person, you know, hearing about Jesus and the story, he's a tax collector. So that kind of represents somebody in the margins who's not really, you know, well-loved or accepted. And so he hears about this Jesus, right? And, and he, he climbs a sycamore tree in search for Jesus. And Jesus, as he's walking down the street with crowds, a crowd around him, uh, stops at the sycamore trees as Zacchaeus come down I'm gonna come over to your house and and he does and um you know there's this uh moment where we know there's transformation for Zacchaeus and we, we get a sense that the the religious leaders are not too fond of what Jesus has done spending time with this kind of person that quote unquote is not um righteous or or worthy right Um, the piece about the story that I love so much, and I'm so grateful that you mentioned relationships, right? So a heady academic work, but so much of our work is grounded in relationship and stories. And I think the transformation in the story where Jesus and Zacchaeus sits down and in my mind, having a meal, sharing this time together, and that's when transformation happens, is when relationship is is blooming it's growing or uh, um strangers collide and um and, and transformation comes out of that right and so for me that story of relationship of of hearing of being of deep listening of vulnerability results in transformation and i've always been curious about the religious leaders at that time those who were you know, um, questioning Jesus's motives or his righteousness. And I always wondered um, if they sat down, if they would also be transformed, right? Like if they uh, got a little closer, listened into the conversation, if they also would find their 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 hearts um, moved in, in some way. So 
the story of Zacchaeus has always been close to my heart um, around, um, and for me around anti-racism work, it is um, getting turning towards one another, hearing each other's story, being transformed when strangers, um, quote unquote, come together. Um, so that's one. The other one that's been on my mind is the story of Elijah and after Mark, Mount Carmel. I think, I, I hope I'm saying it right. <laughs> um, so Elijah is this uh, prophet and uh, he's tired because the people are not, you know, faithful. And, and so there's this like um, battle, right? <laughs> of like, like um, the, the prophets of Baal, I hope I'm saying that right as well. Um, there's kind of the showdown, like who's the real God, you know? And so Elijah says, we're going to, you know, kill these two bulls and, and we're going to pray to our prospective gods and whatever, um, you know, gets consumed by fire from heaven is the real God. And so, so here, here's this big showdown and, um, the prophets and, uh, of Al are, you know, praying and, and dancing. And Elijah has the audacity to taunt them and say, your God must be sleeping or on vacation. You must, you know, pray a little harder and, and nothing happens. And then it's um, his turn. And I have this image of how time consuming and, and gory, if I may use that word, like of a person having to slaughter this, this animal and, and then, you know, did, he asked the people to, to to dig this trench to pour water on it, kind of almost like, let me show you who's God, you know, like, and, and sure enough, um, fire from heaven comes down. And so he was the hero, you know, of, of the day or the, the winner. And, um, but yet he leaves from that, that, uh, that event, um, knowing that his life um, was on the line that uh, Jezebel said she was going to, to kill him. Um, and so he went into hiding. And then what follows is what um, has been close to my heart is he, he, he told God that he's done. He's tired. He, he just wants this to all end. He doesn't want to do this anymore. And God sends, sends this angel and, and offers him bread and water and says eat drink go to sleep eat drink go to sleep and because you have more a journey ahead of you it's a long journey and and so it makes me think of the ups and downs of this work and how we need one another how how are we showing up for one another to care for one another when things get tough um there'll be times that um that my colleagues and friends will be down. I hope I can, can be there for them and vice versa. There are times when I feel um, kind of clueless or confused or overwhelmed and I'm grateful for those who, who, are, who continue the work, you know? Um, so that story has been um, helpful for me in, in recognizing that there are ups and downs in this journey and that I can't do it alone. <laughs> and thank God for, for those who, who show up, who, who I hope I can show up for as well. Yeah. Um, and then the last piece is not so much of a story, but 
Um, I was part of a training that was offered by the General Commission on Religion and Race um, for the Board of Ordained Ministry and Cabinet a couple of years ago. It was just right before the pandemic. Actually, my last meal out prior to pandemic was, was um, at this event. But one of the activities was to that the facilitator had, which is uh, Dr. Grace Pak, um, asked us to write on sticky notes stories in the Bible that had to do with difference coming together and being transformed or, um, you know, an interaction between unlikely individuals, which resulted in, in, in transformation. So whether it's Moses and God or, you know, all throughout scripture. And once we took time to write them down and put them all on this long wall, the question was like, if we were to remove all these pieces out of the, the scriptures, what would be left? And it was like, not much, right? And so that has been percolating on my mind on, as we're doing this work, as we talk to churches and individuals who say, this is too political, this is not important in the life of the church, we need to focus on X, Y, and Z. Um, why are we still talking about this? You know, it makes me think if we remove all those scriptures that have to do with transformation, relationship, um, coming together across difference, um, there would not be much left, right? And so that has been on my mind as a compelling why, like this is part of our, our history, our faith history. It's part of our, who we, who we are called to be as disciples of Jesus Christ. So I'll stop there. Sorry, <laughs> I felt like I spoke a lot there. I'm particularly struck by the theme of transformation in in all these scriptures that you've mentioned so far. And yeah, I'm just thinking to, um, I'm still absorbing. All this is still percolating <laughs> for me. I feel like you just gave me a lot to think about and hopefully our listeners too. But thinking about Elijah, story of Elijah and this theme of like, you know, like there's the ups and downs and feeling too tired to go on. And, um, you know, what does it look like in, like I think of the angel coming and like the bread and the water and the sleep and whatever, and thinking like, what does it look like to take a break? And mm-hmm. I think of like the work that we do because you're right. Like it is, it can be really exhausting. Um, I think anyone's work can be really exhausting, but especially Absolutely. if you're fighting against systems of oppression in some capacity like it it feels like there's no end and hopefully maybe someday there will be but we're not going to see it in our lifetime realistically right like that's not Mm -hmm. most likely not going to happen but to think about you know what does it look like to be in such a community that you can take a step back and trust that that, like the rest of the community is going to step up and take it on while you're taking the time to yourself and then also recognizing in that too I think this is a common theme for uh, many folks in in their work is recognizing that sometimes um, I'm getting this from the Nat Ministry and the Nat Bishop um, that like rest is part of that resistance too for those who and the Nat Ministry speaks specifically to um, Black folks and Black women mm-hmm. and so what does it look like to step out and not do like all this work to actually like make time devoted to rest when a system is designed to not let you rest um, and so I think of that too in terms of work and engage with that mindfully, right? Um, as far mm-hmm. as that ministry goes. And yeah, so I'm just particularly struck by like, especially Elijah's story that, you know, you just gotta like keep going. And I think, mm-hmm. I know for myself, I can't speak for you, but I know for myself, I feel like called by the spirit to do a lot of this work. And so 
recognizing, you know, like there are days when like, I'm, I'm done with God. I don't want to do it anymore. And, mm. and God says like, well, tough luck kid, like mm. keep mm. going. Mm. So, mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted to, um, you mentioned NAP, right? Like as an NAP, right? I think you mentioned that to me before. Yeah. And I think that um, rest or renewal and this, you know, um, might be, we're going down a little bunny trail here. We, you know, so much, at least when I was growing up, that ministry is sacrifice and ministry is, you know, um, you put God first, even to the detriment of one's health, um, an abandonment of family, you know, engagement and all these things. Um, and so how can we, how can I unlearn that or let go of some of the guilt of some of those things that I've, you know, grew up learning about what faithfulness looks like, right? Or what is required. And so, you know, when you were speaking, it made me think, I think, and I feel so bad that I can't pinpoint it, but a few chapters, I think, prior to the Elijah story of Mount Carmel, there's another incident where ravens came, and I forget the context, but ravens came and brought nourishment to him. And again, that reminder um, of rest and accepting, <laughs> you know, like the 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 hospitality um that is offered um yeah um but yes you said nap ministry and I rem- that reminded me of when you had mentioned that to me before yeah yeah how about you I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to follow up on um thus far but yeah any scripture or things that you wanted to share I'm actually struck first by your mention of ministry requiring sacrifice. And I think I want to spend a little bit of time on that because I'm curious to know where, like, where are you at with that now? I have my own thoughts and I'll share them in just a moment. Um, Because I've heard that too, you know, like ministry is like sacrifice. Like it it is, and being like a pastor for a lot of folks and being in ministry Mm -hmm. is one of the harder jobs. And that's like a common theme I hear as well is, you know, Mm -hmm. if you could do, I've been told if you could do anything else, do that because Mm -hmm. like, this is too much um, for anyone. So yeah, I'm curious where you're at with that uh, notion that ministry requires sacrifice. Yeah, I'll share that. I'm a pastor's kid, a PK. So I grew up in a Vietnamese speaking um, worship community. And and then over time, uh, bilingual Vietnamese and English, And I have great memories of growing up in the church. And that was, um, yeah, in the midst of it and behind the scenes, um, helping fold bulletins on Saturday night and, you know, helping my parents out with, you know, worship prep and church was like the second home. Um, I also remember at that time, I was in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and there were Vietnamese United Methodist worshiping communities um, an hour away, which is Lansing, Michigan, and then three hours away in Detroit, Michigan. And there was at one point where we were doing either two-point or three-point church every Sunday. So we would leave church in Grand Rapids, go to Lansing, go to Detroit, come back. I mean, and we will be home. I remember bringing my backpack, you know, my sister and I, um, and, and do homework in the car and things like 
that and for some and, and for some reason we we you know and I think this is part of life like we made it through right um I think those are fond memories but the other side of it that there was immense stress <laughs> that I think as children I probably young kids I didn't recognize upon our family and I won't go in it here but I think ministry at the end has um, left uh, the stress and the demands of it in that capacity um, has left lasting um, pain in, in my family unit. So for me, I don't know if I have good personal boundaries, but I have one of the things for me is um, I have not expected my, my spouse, um, my husband and my kids that this expectation that they will be at everything with me and you know before and after for setup and cleanup and everything like they they attend church with and they are part of this a faith journey with me but it's not like an obligatory um situation and um i think that is probably one of the biggest difference uh, for me is knowing that i know that i can do this work because i have supported a supportive spouse but i hope that i don't take advantage of that i know that my kids say you're in meetings all the time <laughs> mom and i think part of that is because of pandemic and we're working from home so they are aware <laughs> that i'm in meetings whereas they when they were in school they didn't know right but um, but I think that's the biggest piece is recognizing that my calling, even though I know that it's only possible, um, the support is so meaningful to me, but I hope that I'm not putting that upon um, my loved ones. And um, that's the biggest um, piece, I think, for me. The one thing that I need to work on is my own personal kind of boundaries. I know that um, that with ministry and some other professions, it's not just a nine to five situation, right? And many jobs are like that. But I'm not saying it's only unique to pastors and people in, in church ministry. Um, but then with pandemic, I think the lines are blurred even more. And um, for better, for worse, we're working with people across different time zones, more across the country. So I find myself, you know, um, at times in meetings you know, early, early in the morning, late at night, you know, at all times and all days. Um, and so what does that mean, you know, as we're building community during this time of pandemic and ministry? That also for me is like, wow, I'm working every day, even though they're not full days, you know, and so how how is that affecting me in the long term? And so those are questions I have for my own life around sacrifice. And when I think about sacrifices, the first thing is about time. Um, yeah. I always push back on the sacrifice piece of ministry a bit. Um, and yeah. I think, I don't want to say this got me in trouble as like a youth director, uh, but I think it, it could have gotten me in trouble as a youth director yeah. with that. And part of that too, coming from um, a youth ministry background, like very commonly youth youth pastors, youth directors, et cetera, are underpaid or mm -hmm. underpaid and overworked, which is a lot of like pastors in general mm -hmm. too, right? Um, mm -hmm. But especially to me for like youth pastors in particular and youth directors, um, we oftentimes like even just knowing in our conference, most of our youth directors are only part-time, but mm -hmm. do like 40 hour a week work mm -hmm. and because that, that's youth ministry. That's the way that works. Um, and so I kind of drew a boundary very early on of if you want need to like I would still like fit like do the things I'm supposed to do right like run the youth events have youth group um 
put in like a little extra time as needed. But for me, what mattered was like, if you want to see more of this, like I need to be paid for it. And part of that too, is if you're working, um, and at this time I was like just starting seminary in the beginning. And so, you know, full-time grad student. And I was in like a place of privilege where the job I left before, um, I had like a holiday bonus that I was able to Mm -hmm. like put aside and live off for a while until I was able to find um, a little extra work or my internship started and things like that. But when I think of like for a youth director and like youth ministry position, most of like youth, like successful youth events will happen on the weekends, right? They'll happen Mm -hmm. on Friday nights or Saturdays um, Mm -hmm. and Sundays. So there is that sacrifice in like, you're going to have to give up your weekend, which is fine and great. Except if you're a part-time youth director who needs to still like pay your bills and like make a living, Mm -hmm. chances are you're going to be looking for another job, which could be um, working in like a coffee shop. It could be um, working at a bar, right? Like bartending. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of those jobs require you to work on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And so there becomes like this conflict of interest of, well, like I want to do this as like for youth director and I want to show up for my youth and young people, but in order to pay my bills, I have to go find another job that's going to require me to work on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So from, for me, from like a social justice and equity perspective, I'm very much like, and I push back on this often all the time anyway, but I'm very much like we need to pay people for their work, right? Like regardless, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if you want someone to be working full-time um, or doing full-time work, you need to pay them full-time hours and budget those. And so, and I do think an exception to that does come as like a pastor, right? Because they're like, same thing. There is always going to be that sacrifice. So like some things are going to happen in the evening. Some things are going to happen mm-hmm. early in the morning um, when there's crises and things like that. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to have to like drop everything from time to time to like be there for your parishioners. Mm-hmm. And so at the same time, while I recognize that and do see that value and do think it's important, I also think it still comes back to how do we create a sustainable mm-hmm. enough community where mm-hmm. it's not all put onto one person, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think in part of that, that's why we have care teams. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, and this is like generalizing and I don't I don't really assume this about like all pastors, you know, of like being able to like give up like your power and like control. Mm-hmm. But I know for a lot of people, like including myself in some things, like it can be hard to let go of that control and trust somebody else to take it on mm-hmm. and take care of it. Mm-hmm. But it mm-hmm. continues to feed in for me, this idea that like the world can operate without you like realistically Mm -hmm. like this Mm -hmm. job could operate without me like Mm -hmm. there's someone else out there who is just as if not more equipped to do the same work Mm -hmm. that I'm doing um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so like thinking in capitalism kind of terms like we're all replaceable in a sense Mm -hmm. um which like isn't true in like a relationship sense right um but in like capitalist thinking which I do think does influence our church because we're in a capitalist system we're in a very like white supremacist society Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that that seeps into ministry and things like that. And so I think for me, I really, and this is, I think, just going into seminary in general, like I told myself, like, I'm not going to like sacrifice like who I am for Mm -hmm. the work that I do. Um, I'm always willing to compromise. Like if I have colleagues or folks, you know, who can't meet until seven o'clock at night, like, great, I will like budget that time, but then I'm taking that hour away from someone, something else, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not going to like, do more than what um is budgeted I think part of that too for me has looked like and this took a long time to do and I've had a coach that really encouraged this was like scheduling sabbath um Mm -hmm. so picking Mm -hmm. a day or a chunk of hours that um that I don't do anything and that includes like schoolwork and um Mm -hmm. I think for a long time now I've picked like Fridays have been my sabbath day Mm -hmm. and I literally like do nothing or I do 
whatever it is I want to do, um, mm-hmm. set hard boundaries. If people email me on my weekends, like I'm not going to see it until mm-hmm. Monday, um, unless there's like, you know, something that I really need to be watching out for, in which case mm-hmm. usually that person has my phone number and they can call mm-hmm. So yeah, so I guess that's how I've like started to think about um, sacrifice and ministry is transforming it into what does compromise look like? And then with that too, like just upholding that I believe um, this has taken a long time too, right? Like this is deconstructing a lot of uh, thinking that I've been raised with and others, but deconstructing um, deconstructing that all I have to do is work um, in order to prove my worth. So believing that like mm-hmm. I and all of us are really enough of rest and taking that time to uh, recuperate and spend time like doing something else. Cause I believe that if I'm just working all the time, like I'm not going to be as on it. Like I'm not going to be as creative. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to find the answers to mm-hmm. whatever it is I'm seeking. So yeah. That's yeah. How I think about that. No, that's super helpful. And I, I'm so grateful you mentioned about equity and around pay and time. Cause I know we've had some conversations about, you know, even with our work and as we engage uh, people within our conference with with the work and projects that we were thinking more about compensation because you know like you said in the church it's like oh we should do it for free or we expect people to do it for free out of the love of God and others you know and and so there is some of that right I mean I hear that there's nuance right and um, but um, but that these are things we have to consider uh, we can't take people's times and gifts and graces for granted and and how do we not use this, especially this, uh, you know, like, oh, you should sacrifice or do you love God enough to kind of do this, that that we take advantage of people's uh, times and gifts and graces. Um, yeah, that's, that's very important. You know, so like I talked about time, uh, relationships, pay, all those things when we, when you asked about sacrifice. I think the other piece when you were speaking made me think about, again, like this is a joint venture, right? And I guess you you, you mentioned it too about trusting. Um, so like for me, when I was in the local church and the pastor, what would it be like if I trust a team, right, to do care? And then for the laity to know that if there's a certain day that they need care, that it's, that it's okay that somebody else visits right and so this is like a joint like I need to let go of power um, or that I have that whole only the holy touch or prayer or whatever right whatever that is to let go of that and that there are others who are very equipped and called and gifted and then for those who are receiving the care to know that um, a prayer from a person from this care team is equally, you know, valid and uh, and good, and a visit is is equally um, as the pastor, for example. And again, it just reminds me of that jointness in this together. Yeah, um, that that that's community, right? And 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 part of it is we are part of a a culture that does value hierarchy, and you know. And I think the other thing that made me think about sacrifice too is um, our, our expectation and around culture. And uh, so, for example, some cultures, it's um, very important that the pastor, like they wake up early in the morning to pray. I know that for some of our Korean American and Korean churches, part of the culture is praying together early in the morning. And for white dominant culture, sometimes we say, well, you're doing too much. That's not appropriate. And so how do we 
have this conversation that also respects culture and, you know, um, and um, tradition or values and that um, when we encourage one another as colleagues that we don't impose, because um, I've been in conversation in like BOMs and DCOMs, like you shouldn't be doing that. Church should not expect you to come in early in the morning. Well, but that's part of who they are. We can't, you know, define that for, for another culture or another pastor. Um, but there's that nuance and what does self-care look like? You know, there's nuance on what does rest look like and how do we, um, uphold that and support that for one another and not just impose what dominant culture or dominant white culture in this example is yeah I appreciate you mentioning the cultural difference in that because I do think that that is important to acknowledge too right um because yeah like the way that uh Korean meth Korean Americans um Methodist or otherwise will worship is going to be very different than um, you know, the way Black Methodists worship or like white, like dominant white Methodist worship. And so, yeah, I think that that is really important to point out and to be mindful in those conversations too. When we think of, um, you know, board of ordering ministry or whoever kind of like mm -hmm. acknowledging this and being like, oh, like we never asked you to do that. Well, like, no, you didn't ask them to do that. However, like when it's a part of like a cultural thing, um, there are some things where like as a white person, like we don't get to like determine like what that looks like, right? Like that continues to, um, be dominant in the conversation. So yeah, I appreciate that reminder of like cultural differences within that too, and how we can um, approach that in a way that honors um, honors difference, I guess, for lack of a better way to yeah. put it. Yeah, honors difference and, and what does an opportunity for us, what rest and sacrifice and renewal and all of that is for, for each person, each culture, and um, how can we support that for one another? Yeah. Um, thanks. Thanks for helping me think through those scriptures that I lifted up. And, and, um, again, I, I use nuance. Like nuance has been the word of the day for me for the last several weeks and recognizing that, um, like having conversation about those scriptures that I brought up, um, and the nuances and awareness and, um, and layers um, to consider. Thanks. Yeah. What are some scriptures that uh, ground you? in your ministry and your work so i'm thinking like that's like a whole other episode we could dive on into so is, is this part one that this is betty and then part two is courts yeah we can do that too it just yeah. it just might be um mm -hmm. i will say while we're here and while i'm thinking about it is like mm -hmm. the piece of scripture that i've lived by for as long as i can remember or tried to live by rather i'm not perfect um is James chapter two verses eight or verse 18 uh, but someone will say you have faith and I have works show me a show me your faith apart from your works and I by my works will show you by show you my faith um oh. that idea of thinking of like what is it that you believe uh, what is your faith and not like to me that doesn't mean just like in God like as a Christian it's like as a Christian like what are like what are my values in that um do I really believe in you know the number one commandment love thy neighbor as thyself um do I really believe in serving people on the margins um and things like that and so that for me has always kind of like been in the back of my mind of um you know, whatever it is that I say I believe in, um, God or like a value or story or teaching in the Bible, 
that doesn't matter if I just say it, like I have to show it. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, that's really all I've got about it is just like, you know, how do we live our faith in our everyday life? And I think I'm at a point now where I'm becoming more comfortable with like claiming Christianity as my religion. I've had a really hard time with that. It's just kind of acknowledging, you know, like it's done a lot, lot of harm. It's especially done a lot of harm to others in the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community. And so I'm kind of at this place now where like thinking in terms of discipleship, like, okay, like what does it look like to be like for me, queer and Christian? Um, and how can I live that out in a way that I don't want to say like models it for others, but like shows again that like this is possible. You can have like your identity and your faith. Like they can coincide. They don't have to like cancel each other out. Like you don't have to compromise who you are just to be in relationship to God, just to call yourself a follower, disciple of Christ. Um, Yeah. So I think I'm kind of at this point now where I'm thinking a little bit more like, what does it look like to actually live my faith in God, um, in Christ? Mm-hmm. in in my everyday life and how do I yeah make that happen yeah. I guess but yeah thanks for sharing that it reminds me at the beginning you talked about um praxis right and that you know I I I learned that word more more recently than earlier in my faith journey but um you know right right belief and right action right um and how do we how do we live out our faith? And and I hear you, you know, you're talking about claiming Christianity um, and being more comfortable with that. Um, I remember really struggling with if I wear my collar when I go on a, a march or come to the Capitol to, to share a testimony. And most recently I gave a testimony or a faith reflection around immigration. Um, I was like, yes, I'm going to wear my collar. I was recorded. And I and then my shirt was messed up. I got like some kind of, um, my kids, I think, had a candy wrapper in the wash or dryer. And so it got messed up. But um, I just shared that to say that the one time I was like, yes, I'm going to wear my collar. <laughs> I wasn't able to. But yeah, like, uh, claim, you know, being um, comfortable saying that we are people of faith, we are Christian, the United Methodist, I, you know, I am, and that, um, and that my faith informs me. Um, how can we uh, live out our faith? Um, and when when the dominant narrative right now still continues to be so much of harm and pain and causes harm, harm and pain to so many. And um, but yeah, you are definitely living out that love of Christ. Or yeah, and so I just want to affirm you and what you're doing and your ministry and who you are. Um, I know it's transforming lives. And so, yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, thank you. That means a lot. And I'm, I'm doing my best like the rest of Aren't we all? And I think that, um, I mean, this is a conversation totally for another time, but I mean, that's... Uh, that's part of the journey. It's part of the work. And, and just like you mentioned at the beginning too, like this is work that will outlast our lifetime. And hopefully we can see some change and transformation during our lifetime. Um, but it is ongoing work and forever work. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts? I don't think so. I think that's a great place to yeah. wrap it up. Um, 
Yeah, you've given me a lot to think about and ponder on and let percolate. So yeah, yeah, same here. Yeah, and thanks for lifting up that scripture. Um, I know in the church, you know, sometimes uh, we have these theological debates, right? Is it uh, right action or right faith or who gets to go to heaven, the people who do the action? or You know, like, um, but you, you just reminded that, you know, perhaps those uh, arguments or debates are not as helpful as living out the faith, right? Yeah. All right, friend. Well, as always, thanks for the conversation and sure. thanks to our listeners for listening. Yes. Um, yeah, we'll stay tuned until next time and we'll, we'll see what's percolating. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Percolating Wonder. Be sure to like and subscribe or follow us depending on what podcast platform you're listening on. If you're tuning in on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. And remember, tell your friends.